You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to have Andrew Kreisis on the line with us. We're on the episode with us. He is the head of product for small and medium businesses globally at Nelson Nielsen IQ. I can't speak today. He was recently the chief product officer during the creation and launch of a new best-in-class CPG platform, Visor, which we might have to ask him a little bit about. His track record of success includes global executive experience in the go-to-market strategy, revenue cycle management, operations, and product development. Andrew is an expert not only in crafting data-driven business solutions, but also in embedding analytics in all aspects of Nielsen IQ products. With skills that span product management, sales strategy, marketing and operations, his holistic approach to leadership ensures both continuous improvement for Nielsen IQ as a company and above all, high quality product. And today we're going to pick his brain a little bit to learn a little bit more about how retailers can best optimize their performance in multiple facets. So Andrew, thank you so much for being on with us today. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Yeah. So before I dive in, I I did give um, an overview, but tell us a little bit more specifically about your role at the company. Yeah. So to dive in a little further. So I lead uh, our product development for SMB. So that's everything that um, we sell, whether it's retail measurement panel, all our different products that that engage or sell across small and medium-sized businesses in the U.S. as well as globally but I've got a deeper focus uh, in the US more recently. So that means we're working constantly with small startups, small brands, companies that really haven't had the opportunity to work with data or to have potential uh, to understand the marketplace, understand how to gain entry into retail. And we're helping enable them in ways that they uh, never could in the past. And so that's where we've doubled down as a company. We've invested to create a platform from the ground up uh, mm-hmm. that we call Visor, that, that's a component within Nielsen IQ that's really bringing this forward in the marketplace and something that we're you know proud of, but really excited to, to talk about. Okay, great. Well, we're excited. I'm excited to dive in as well. So as we look at so many changes that have been happening over the past two years um, and thinking about how retailers can optimize and, and plan for supply chain, what is your recommendation? What are you thinking? How can retailers best optimize retail uh, assortment? And, and assume that supply chain issues might continue for a while. Yeah, so I think you're definitely spot on with supply chain issues continuing. I don't, I don't think this is a, a once and done, you know, in 2020, 2021. I think this is going to continue into 2022 and potentially further into 2023, given some of the trends that we're seeing. Hmm. Um, for our retail partners, um, it's definitely it's a challenging time. I, I think it's one thing that we've advised, you know, is that they look into their brand makeup and look into their, their shelf mix to understand what are the brands that can kind of weather this storm the best um, and what are the ones that they can rely on that have more successful supply chains or be able, you know, able to adapt given the marketplace over the last 12 months. So I think looking at some of those auto stocks, looking at some of the trends and in the inventory levels, um, what we've seen is some retailers are making decisions um, around how many products are on shelf. Are they focusing more on some of the um, you know, store brands versus some of the national brands? That's definitely a shift we've seen in the marketplace. But then I think there's also an avenue for retailers to consider, you know, how do I bring some of these maybe smaller local emerging brands? Um, they might have, you know, they might be doing local, uh, local development or local mm-hmm. manufacturing that may give them some advantage. They don't necessarily have the capacity and depth that some of the national brands have, but it's another way to differentiate on the shelf. 
especially given you know the pandemic uh, era of you know omni shopping. So it's yeah. both a combination of having variety online, but also something unique to bring someone in store that is quote unquote local. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and so as you you keep talking about the shelf, a couple of things come up with some of our clients is is one little you know. Does the point of the store change? And and instead of focusing so much of how much inventory you have in the store itself, does this leave more room for experiential strategy? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're definitely right. I, I think with the the focus of, you know, the in-store changing, right? Um, you're getting certainly a resurgence, you know, in 2021 compared to 2020 back in the store. So in-store mm-hmm. is not going away. But also at the same time, the conversion to online, those trends are significant, right? And so I think that's going to stay. And then for your in-store shoppers, it's what type of you know promotional activity, what type of uh, different kinds of engagements are you going to have or change the way that they might be shopping in store or attract them into store. And then again, if you have differentiated offerings um, that they're going to come to your store, maybe because it's more local or maybe there's different uh, trends. We talk a lot within Nielsen um, around health and wellness, um, yeah. huge focus that is we see as it's no longer a channel, it's across every channel and it's really across all categories. And so depending on how you play into some of these broader trends that people are focused on, I think that will bring more people in store to kind of experience some of those products that they want to touch in person versus mm-hmm. some that maybe they're okay with just getting you know five different random ones online and then kind of returning a couple. Uh, so we've certainly seen both of those trends. No, absolutely. And so you've seen a lot of creative strategies, I'm sure, um, and partnerships. Any any surprises, you know, that you were, you know, that that was really thinking outside the box, but really effective? Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but I think um, the going local, um, again, it's probably uh, something that's a broader trend over, mm-hmm. you know, that we've seen in some of the wellness type retailers, um, but probably tapping into that. So I've seen, you know, across Nielsen's company from our data, we've seen about a 5% reduction in total SKUs across all retailers, which is really significant when you look at that across the board. So it tells us one, you know, to a surprise to a degree, a couple percent, but 5% is significant that most likely retailers are reducing the number of SKUs on shelf, focusing more on some of their existing, you know, in-store brands versus some of the national brands. But I think we're also seeing um, a focus on local, that calling that out is standing as hey, I'm actually pulling from something in the neighborhood or something that you can connect to on a more personal level. And maybe that's safer or something that you can better engage with um, more than say some of the national brands. So we're definitely seeing the local uh, aspect. We're also seeing a general reduction in number of SKUs. Yeah. And so from a consumer insight standpoint, is there anything that surprised you in the last few months? Like what are consumers gravitating to? Where do you think there's opportunities and in a world where there is a lot of uncertainty around, uh, around supply chain for retailers and brands to delight. Yeah. So I think um, definitely challenging on both sides for retailers and, and manufacturers. So I'll try to uh, uh, you know draw the line. But um, <laughs> I think as far as things that are delighting consumers, um, I started to hit on this, but the, the wellness side is something that's standing out. So as you look at the trends of the last couple of years, consumers are spending more from a shopper standpoint on um, preventative care. So less on necessarily, uh, I have a problem and I'm looking to solve for something, whether we're talking about a drug or mass and like that, but it's also different foods or lifestyles that will make me healthier for the next round. And so I think as you, you know, as retailers look at the brands that they want to bring into their store, brands that have a lifestyle or a mission associated with them 
um, those will draw the right types of consumers. And then on the consumer side, when we look at some of our panel data, definitely, you know, large wellness trends, when you look at diets, you know, whether it's vegan, ketogenic, you know, all those different diets and assets around foods or where foods are being sourced matters to consumers. So yeah. those trends are going up. And I think brands have an opportunity to think about their products and one, um, how do I align my brand to lifestyles and these different trends from wellness? But then also, what's the right strategy and how I position myself in retail? What's the right pricing levers? You know, what's the right promotional strategy? Because we are seeing some of those, you know, wellness or some of those diets or special packaging can drive a premium price, which is, you know, a right. benefit, meaning people are willing to pay for those, whether it's in store or online. No, absolutely. I think it's a heightened, a heightened awareness around health and wellness for sure um, in the past two years of what we've all gone through. And Oh, it's not quite over yet. Um, so <laughs> other things that I'm hearing from brands, especially in the D2C world uh, that's working around supply chain is they're trying to figure out when's the, like, how do you think about future product launches? How do you think about, yeah. right? What's the timing around all of that when you're, you're still in a place where you're trying to get through backlog of orders that you already have. Any thoughts there? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if there's a magic bullet there. I, I think <laughs> it's, it's tough if you, if you don't have caps and you need caps and you can't get caps like that, you're truly challenging. But I think, um, you know, we've seen some companies look at packaging differently. Um, if you have limitations in your supply chain around, I'll take it, you know, you don't have enough caps and you cannot get the order of caps you need for your next, you know, rounds of, of manufacturing. Can you go to, you know, boxes? Can you go to, you know, different containers if you're, you know, you're a liquid as an example? Are there different ways to package your product in a certain way that can get it on shelf? And then when it comes to ingredients, right, are there ways when you think about future product innovation, you know, when you look at um, some of the different commodities out there, where do we have, where do you have access to that inventory and what can you put together that maybe isn't the exact same product that you have, but think of it as an innovation. Is there an opportunity to innovate with a set of ingredients or a set of packaging that you wouldn't traditionally have done if you had all everything you know at your hands? But in a way, you're also going to innovate and it's challenging. It's not going to be easy, but that might give you an opportunity to show something in the marketplace that's also new and position yeah. it in a way differently to your you know existing consumers as well as future consumers. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that you know everybody keeps talking about is inflation. Um, demand oh, yeah. and that causing a demand fluctuation, which isn't going to help <laughs> all those moving parts that we're dealing with right now. Um, how do we, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, again, another a question that doesn't have a crystal ball, but you know, what, what do you, what do you think from a strategic standpoint, how can brands and retailers be forward thinking about this? Yeah. So I definitely think um, there's a space here around data and analytics that can help both brands and retailers. Something that you know we spend a lot of time on is Nielsen IQ and, and with our advisor platform. But I think it's better understanding what your category level trends are when it comes to pricing, especially because you know across the board we're seeing you know significant inflation. I think it's about a three hundred percent increase. Um, you know that we're seeing across the board, whether it's uh, I think there's a three hundred percent increase in shipping costs, right? Uh, that we're seeing. You've got a thirty percent increase in energy costs that's been taking place. Um, so all of those are adding into to real significant margin impacts, and as a result, right, it's driving you know costs to continue to be higher down down the chain. Um, those those will definitely continue, but I think it's understanding category level what's taking place, what competitors are doing, and understanding what opportunities you have out there. What we've seen is that the elasticities aren't significantly changing. 
in the marketplace when we look across a number of categories for pricing and also promotional elasticities. So that means when you think about your promotional activities, they're still working. They're still extremely yeah. important. So one first is to get your price right. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, for those premium shoppers, they're willing to pay a higher price to continue to get a product that they value or a premium product, especially maybe even delivered to them, you know, from an omni, you know, online shopping standpoint. But then we're also seeing people who are still going uh, to store as well as online who are very promotional conscious, right? I think it's 40 plus percent of shoppers in a recent study from Nielsen um, base their purchase solely on, on the, the promotional activity. Um, what's the right price that they can get on promotion? And that's going to drive their action. So it tells us that promotions definitely still work, even in a higher you know, priced environment. And so using data to understand the category, but then also using understanding your item level, like what is the right promotional level for your specific item at a specific retailer? What is the right profit margin and profit level that you need to have or to maintain? And what are the outputs of that? You know, what are your total sales and what's your you know, margin going to be at the end of the day? That type of analysis can really be automated if you use some of the systems what you know, Nielsen IQ has, um, and that'll help you give some answers on, okay, what action should I take? What's the outcome going to be? And then how is that going to be perceived by my shopper base? And how is that in comparison to category? Am I moving up to be more premium in the category? Am I maintaining my spot in the category? Um, so I think it, it gives some opportunities. It's definitely challenging, but you don't want to you know, make those decisions in a silo. You definitely need to use some insights and data to help guide you on that journey. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And the trick, though, is you can't use a lot of historical data. Uh, things are changing so rapidly. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, the good news is with all the changes we've seen in 2020 and 2021, right, we've got some great models now that are looking at 2021, which I think is obviously telling you for 2022. Now we've got obviously variants and all this stuff that, that continues to make it challenging. But at least what we've seen in, in behaviors of how people have evolved in shopping, I think now there are better um, abilities to use some of those insights to look at it versus I think when you go back to 2020, and you were looking at what's the right pricing strategy based on 2019 data, like th- those were completely different. I think now in the CP industry, we've now got enough data on how people are shopping in this omni world, especially you know when you look across a number of different categories that have significant variation, those are stabilizing to a degree. Okay. What are the biggest changes you've seen like as far as change in consumer behavior where they're gravitating to just shopping online versus going in store or vice versa? Have you noticed any major trends that you think are yeah, here to so, stay? I mean, I think the center store trend is to a degree here to stay, meaning people are much more comfortable shopping um, center store online, and that's probably going to stay that way. So, you know, boxed items, those kind of things. When you look at around the center, um, I think those items, people do still want to come back in a store if they can. We, we've definitely seen that come back, meaning, you know, if you're shopping for your vegetables and things like that, you certainly did purchase those online, a large percent purchase those online during uh, the early days of 2020. Um, but for those who want to have an experience in person, want to, you know, touch and feel their products to give it a value or a quality level, that still exists. And so I think we're seeing that trend of, hey, maybe I'll go in for shorter trips. Um, engage and purchase some of those specific tangible items, you know, around the center of the store. But those center store items, maybe I'm fine, you know, shipping uh, pasta or different, you know, boxes or, um, you know, paper towels, all that kind of stuff to my house. I don't really need to go pick that up in store any, as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, it definitely uh, impacts the evolution of the role of the store, merchandising strategy of the store, yep. but also yep, the sure. opportunity of the store, right? Yeah, Absolutely. 
so looking ahead, what do you, what do you, what does it, what does this look like? Like how right now we're in early stages of how this is reshaping behavior, but it's also happening very rapidly three, five years out talking 2025, like what, what do you see uh, are going to be some of the, the new um, behaviors that uh, retailers and brands will need to think, think about? Yeah, for sure. I think on the um, retail side, um, obviously, it's a, it's a big piece of sourcing and looking, managing inventory levels and managing brands, right? And understanding that whole strategy and then the consumer lens to it. So I think they are going to look for two things. One, how do we ensure with our partners with manufacturers that we've got a depth or confidence in the supply chain? Um, and so I think there's going to be more what I'll call um, performance and um, scorecarding going on of analyzing brands, you know, historical, how they performed over the, the last two years, you know, mm-hmm. certainty of their ability to deliver product. And then I think on the brand side, it's going to be understanding how can I support or like we were talking about before, innovate in a way that I'm not dependent on one supplier or one ingredient or one commodity, but I've got multiple avenues to continue to drive my revenue stream and to differentiate products. So I think it's differentiated products with multiple inputs so that you're not, you know, stuck with only one, one supplier. Right. And then I think of the retail side, the other area that I've seen and, and, and done some research on is, you know, expansion of micro fulfillment um, mm-hmm. areas. So having smaller uh, hubs that are faster service, when you think about Omni, you know, direct to, to your door or, you know, click and collect, those options are going to become more and more prevalent. And I think having smaller facilities locally can source more local ingredients. I think that fits into that local, smaller, you know, item purchase that's going to happen more frequently in this Omni world. So who, who do you think ahead of the curve? Who's been, who's been really forward thinking about this? Um, I feel like in each category, there's, there's those, you know, if you think about within um, coffee from a technology standpoint, it's been Starbucks. So who, who are you looking at that you think has been really forward thinking in this approach? Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely Starbucks is up there. Um, I, so I've actually been impressed with a lot of the brands. Um, I, I don't know if I would put one that is only leading the way. I'll, I'll even mention some of the smaller startups that I think have done yeah. some great work because, you know, the big brands obviously have all the power and they, you know, can command qu- quite a bit of presence, um, whether mm-hmm. it's online innovations, um, deliveries, partnerships. But I think there's a company that I work with uh, that is in the baby food category um, called Serenity Kids. I think they've this company has grown significantly during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. they've really grown um, organically and grown in store with Whole Foods and had some you know, pretty strong partnerships. Um, they've done some very uh, successful promotional activities, driven end caps and gotten some excitement around their product, but also kind of provided a um, path to you know, how they're going to deliver significantly within some of their online space. So they work closely with Amazon and Shopify and others. So uh, areas that Nielsen, you know, focuses from an e-commerce mm-hmm. and coverage standpoint with, you know, our Omni solution and, and data impact. Uh, so those are insights that we can help work with brands like them to help drive that strategy. And then I think for them, it's also that whole wellness component. So it's telling yeah. that story. It's it's how do you tell your story across the marketplace? How do you leverage technology? You know, whether it's online, who are your partners that you're going to support? You know, direct D 2 C delivery. And then also, how are you getting your positioning, your promotional activities, you know, end caps or whatever it might be, um, displays in retail? Um, those are the brands that are going to be the most successful uh, in this future state. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love it that there's a mix, right? Because I think there's a lot of assumptions that the the, the bigger brands, the mass brands and retailers are 
always pushing it forward. But I do think that there are some of those smaller, more nimble um, yep, exactly. brands, right? That they have that agility to be able to think out of the box and just put it into put it into the world, see if it resonates, yep. um, fail fast if it doesn't, and come up with something new and innovative. So um, I think it's great that you brought up some of those examples um, to the conversations. And I think, you know, we, we, again, we are starting to see a lot more integration of brands um, with analytics. I think in the past, it's been a little bit daunting or a little bit unattainable sure. for brands that were not that mass <laughs> scale to be able to utilize that information. But that's an area where I think it's becoming a lot more accessible to brands of all scales now. Yeah, no, it's, it's spot on. Um, it's something that is, you know, near and dear to my heart and what we've built within Nielsen IQ and, and our advisor platform. Uh, we actually came out with a, a new uh, initiative, a new product called the Nielsen IQ Brand Score. And the concept was to demystify a lot of the analytics that happens um, for you know, more advanced capabilities and larger brands, for smaller brands to be able to access this information. Um, and so we actually created a performance metric that is a simple grade and score. It gives you, you know, an A through F score, just like you had in school, and, and gives you a 600-point scale. And tells you how you're doing relative to your pricing, your promotional, your assortment, and your new products, if you are launching new products, and benchmarks it across the whole category market. And so that gives you some very insightful information. And then from there, does all the work of running these really complex models behind the scenes. But rather than you know require weeks and weeks of analyst work and data scientists, you know, it does it in a couple of seconds um, for yeah. these small brands. So I think it's an example. And I bring that up as a way to, to, to your point, demystify the analytics. It, it shouldn't be a barrier anymore, um, and it no longer is. Um, so I definitely want that message to be out there that uh, those solutions exist. You know, with Nielsen, they're in the marketplace, and there's something that's attainable you know, at a very reasonable price point, very intuitive, very easy to understand. If you know your credit score, you can certainly find out your Nielsen IQ brand score. I like that analogy. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely exciting um, opportunity um, for for brands to make informed decisions, right? Um, totally. And not always totally. shooting in the dark. So, well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. It always goes really quickly, um, but I appreciate you you sharing your insights, telling a little bit about Visor, and then you know the trends that you're seeing and what we think the opportunities um, in the future are um, for retail. Absolutely. So. So again, um, thank you for the time. If you if you don't know Nielsen IQ products, definitely check them out. And Andrew, we will be following to see what you are working on next. Wonderful. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Okay.